I think, I think our spiritual gift is awkwardness. Let's make it as awkward as possible. Let's take all the chairs away and put tables and let's make it, let's make it different. So I, I do, I do, I really do like it. We were actually discussing as we're setting up where every time we do this, we're like, man, this is pretty cool. It's kind of neat to have it this way. And I think, uh, uh, we were talking about, I think it was Mars Hill. Mars Hill sets theirs up like this. And it's really neat. Um, but they also have like TVs where you can see because we have round tables and you don't want to be staring at the, at the back. So I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. We may, we may change it. We may not, but for, for, uh, for what we're doing today, I think it's it's appropriate. I think it's good. Um, what we're going to do, like I said earlier, we're going to wait until the end of uh, my message uh, to, to have communion. We're going to invite the kids back so we can do it as a family. Um, so just be prepared for that. I do have a few things to say before we get to that point. Um, so bear with me as we go through. Uh, if you haven't been here for several weeks, I've kind of been going through John, which is odd for me to, to stay on track with something that long. Uh, but I've kind of been going through the book of John um, from... Jesus arrest and him speaking and us understanding, okay, us, us, understand, us understanding that uh, that sometimes we have to be put in positions to make decisions that we, it, it's, it would be easy for us to say, you know, I would never cut somebody's ear off if we don't, if we never had a sword. Uh, you know, we went through when, when, when Peter, you know, took the ear off and Jesus said no and he healed him and brought it back. Uh, there we went through all of that explaining and, and helping us understand that there was something much deeper going on than just a physical battle, that there was a spiritual battle going on that Jesus was fighting. And uh, not only Peter needed to see that, but we needed to see it too. We need to know that there are going to be some times when we're put in positions where we can make the right or wrong decision, um, and we have to be in those positions so that we can make those decisions, or we have to be in those positions so that we can make those decisions. It's not just a, a, a theological understanding or, a, or an intellectual understanding. Sometimes it's a positional understanding and a situational understanding when you are put in those positions to make those decisions. So as we move forward, we saw where um, Jesus' power was not in, just in a physical sword, but it was just in the words that he spoke, evidence when he said, I am. All the way back from Daniel, he was the one that was coming with the kingdom. Uh, Jesus is not trying to catapult you up into heaven. He came so that he could give heaven to you right now in your heart. So when, when Jesus is talking about this powerful kingdom, he's not talking about one that comes with a sword on a big white horse. He's talking about one that comes in peace on a donkey that comes to heal, that comes to love, that comes to care. Um, it's a kingdom that they hadn't seen then and we don't often see now in the physical realm. Um, it's a kingdom that's invisible and is sometimes hard to understand and hard to see because it's not like right in front of you. It is very easy for us, as we've been talking about, to have the, the mentality of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I hurt you back. Um, it is very upside-down kingdom to say, no, you hurt me and I love you. Or you come at me and I pray for you. And I bring something much more powerful than just something physical. And we have to see that as we move forward, seeing us leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, a week before last, we talked about Baraba. <laughs> I can't have a hard time saying Barabbas after seeing Passion of the Christ. Uh, if, you, if you've not seen Passion of the Christ, it's he, when, when, they, when they come up, they're all shouting, Baraba. Um, and so what we learned a few weeks ago was that means literally ba, bar, abba means son of the father. Um, and Jesus continually told everyone he was the son of man, even though he was the Christ for sure. Um, and everyone called him that. He called himself son of man, making it, ma helping us understand that there was going to be a transition coming. There was going to be a trade made, that he was going to sacrifice himself as deity, as God in the flesh for us so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of the Father. So 
brief. I know that's real brief, but if you haven't been, that's kind of where we're going. We're leading up to the crucifixion. We're kind of at that place right now. We're in John 19.1, if you want to turn there. Oh, that was a lot. Did y'all get all that? That was four weeks. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Jesus is he's about to usher in a new, a new covenant. He's about to usher in the kingdom. Um, something very big is about to happen. Very, very big. Something very, very big is about to happen. John 19, if you don't know Gru. John 19, 1. It says, And Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Um, now, he doesn't spend a lot of time here, but that word flogged, if you've not seen Passion of the Christ, it's pretty much half the movie. Uh, flogged, he was beaten. Um, there's, not, there's not a lot of detail of what that looked like, but as we know of Roman culture and what goes on, they had perfected the, quote-unquote, art of crucifixion. They would beat them, and they would hang them. It was very humiliating. They would be naked on a cross. They would uh, legitimately uh, suffocate to death. They'd have to pick themselves up on the nails to, to breathe. So it was very gruesome, and I'm not going to get into too much details on that, but it was a very gruesome, very um, painful, very uh, humiliating death the crucifixion was. But before that, um, Pilate takes him and has him flogged, has Jesus flogged, has him beaten. Verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Now, let's stop there for a minute. Hail is, when they say this, it's usually very reverent when they would say hail. Obviously, they're being very sarcastic here, but being very hurtful. That was a big deal for them to be saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It's interesting that we're talking about purple here. And, and uh, Robin had just got all the purple things out. And when I came in here, and I even had purple on my shoes, didn't even realize it. Um, but purple is royalty, essentially. And that's what they were mocking him and saying, you're the king of the Jews, um, and put him in a purple robe. Um, I think it's amazing that this cross that was such, a, was such an image and picture of death and hopelessness, Jesus is turning around and changing uh, what that looks like. It's an amazing thing that's about to happen. Verse 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Now, this is what I want to focus on today, Jesus the man. Um, we spend much of our time as pastors teaching and helping people understand that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus spent a lot of time teaching and helping other people understand that he was the Christ because that was a big deal. They knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. But for us today, I think we, a lot of times we, we overlook this, we don't, talk about it enough, so I want to talk a lot about Jesus being the man today, um, being a man, and I think, bless you, and I think uh, Jesus being a man, I think the reason why we tiptoe around it a lot is because we don't want to be uh, irreverent or dishonoring, right? I remember uh, there was some controversy, I don't know if it was Max Licato or something, or, or might have been, uh, I don't remember who the writer was, uh, but one of them had written about like Jesus having pimples or something like that, and it, it was just, like this big uproar about it. Um, but what he was trying to do and whatever his writing was, was, was help people understand that, that Jesus was a man. Um, he was fully God and he was fully man, not 50-50, but 100-100. Uh, what, what that means is, um, is it would be easy for us to push, to push it aside if he was just fully God and not fully man. Because we would say, okay, well, that's Jesus. He can do these things. The reason Jesus was, the Bible teaches us, was the prototype was to demonstrate to us that it was possible for us and God to be together. And it was going to be okay that we could be together. And so when we look at Jesus as a man, we have to see that, that he didn't know everything, evident by him saying, I only do what I see the Father do, right? 
We have to see that Jesus had opportunities to fail, and that's a hard thing to say. But if he didn't have opportunities to fail, then he could have never succeeded, right? All right, we're going di- to dive into this and this, this, uh, this idea that we need to be, it's, it's just imperative, I think, that we see Jesus as man because it, it helps us understand how we should relate to God now as we, as we move forward. We're going to jump over to Hebrews 4.15, which is going to help clarify this. If you want to go there, you can. If not, you can trust me that I'm not reading some random things. <laughs> Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now let's stop there. How could you ever be tempted if there was not an opportunity to fail? Right? Jesus was tempted, but he succeeded in what he did. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, there's kind of a break there, and it jumps over to Hebrews 5, but it continues, every high priest is selected. This is verse 1 from Hebrews 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as those for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, what he's talking about here, he's talking about two sacrifices, one for Aaron's own sins. This goes back to the Aaronic covenant. It was for Aaron's own sins and then sins for the people, so there were two sacrifices there. The difference is Jesus didn't have to make two sacrifices because he didn't sin, right? So there's, there's a little bit of a difference here, but he's also relating it because he says, in the same way, in verse 5. In the same way, in the same way as what? That, we're, that, we, that Jesus handles gently, that he was subject to weakness even though he overcame it. Um, that he, he was going to make a sacrifice, but not for his own sins, but for ours. So it says, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming the high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there's a lot more. I don't want to go too far down that line between the Aaronic line and then the Melchizedek. Melchizedek was from the Old Covenant, which was a different type of priest that wasn't just for a time and didn't have to... Didn't have to go through all that. It was essentially Christ. Um, and so from the order of Melchizedek, we're not talking about Aaron. We're not talking about two sacrifices. We're talking about one sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. Verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, now listen to this. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's hard for us to fully understand this because Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. So in the way that this is written, there's no other way to look at it that he learned, that Jesus learned. That's a big thing to think about. Jesus, what did Jesus have to learn? Well, Jesus had to learn because God placed him in a place that he had to be, and, and this kind of reminds me of something, uh, Trinity and I had a conversation. She was writing a paper, and she was asked in this paper, what do you think the biggest issue in today's society is? And she was describing to me kind of what she thought, and what she was describing was empathy, and I explained to her, what you're talking about is empathy. Not sympathy, but empathy, understanding something from someone else's perspective, right? Y'all, y'all know what empathy is, pretty much. So, essentially, this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, you... 
you can't fully understand what someone's going through unless you experience it like they experience. Now, we can intellectually think about it, and we can try to apply that to our lives and learn from it, but until you're in that position, and we were actually talking about this this morning, uh, Carol and I were about back. Uh, she just had a back injury, and some of the pain that you deal with, uh, she was telling me that she couldn't, they wanted her to sit down, but she couldn't sit down. And I remember when I had my, my herniated disc, they wanted me to stretch my leg out so they could take an x-ray, and I said, I don't think that I can do that. <laughs> I mean, it was excruciating pain for me to stretch my leg out. But I could never understand fully what that meant when someone says I have a backache. I would say, okay, well, that's, that's sweet. Take some ibuprofen, you know. But now I understand that there's much deeper pain because I experienced it. Does that make sense? So how could God fully understand what we go through unless he came down and experienced it himself? This is what Jesus was doing. Jesus was a man, God as a man, coming in the flesh, experiencing what, as the prototype for us today, experiencing things that we experience for the sake of having mercy. How could, a, how could a God have mercy on us if he doesn't understand what we're going through? How could a God that has never died understand death unless he experienced it, right? This is how much God loves us that he cared enough to put flesh on, come down, and limit his own perspective to be able to receive essentially from himself as a man guidance, revelation, things that we need, Right? All these things were done on full display for us so that we could understand that today we can be restored. One of the things that, that I think all of us have an easy, we easily identify with Adam, right? It's easy to identify with Adam and his failure. <laughs> it's easy to say, okay, yeah, we screwed up. We screw up all the time. We're messed up. But how, how difficult is it for us to identify with Jesus, the second Adam, with, with whom we should identify more to be holy and righteous? That's more difficult. I don't think any of us in here would say, no, I'm perfect, right? We would say, no, we fail. We can identify with, with Adam, even though Christ has, has restored us to what we were, we were supposed to be like from the very beginning, walking in the cool of the day with Jesus, walking in the cool of the day with God. Something I, I used to do, and I'm, I don't have a book or anything to, to lay down, but I would, would demonstrate the, the power of restoration, of real reconciliation. If I took a book that was right here and I dropped it on the floor, and I had one of you guys come pick it up and place it somewhere else, that would not be restored. That would just be moved to another place. But if you restored it to its original location, it would go right back to where it is. This is the same thing Christ does for us. He restores our relationship with the Father the way it was supposed to be from the very beginning. I had a conversation with the uh, officiated wedding across the street for Brian and Courtney. Congratulations if you guys are watching. Yay. Um, and just like anything else, man, I was in there with the groomsmen, and we got into some deep discussions. I mean, all the way from, do you think there's just one person for you in the universe and you have to find them? And that turned into a whole predestination, reform theology debate. And it was interesting. Um, but we, we had some really good discussions. But in the process, we talked about um, how powerful God's love is for us. And when you talk about marriage, it's pretty easy to focus on love. But when you get to that place, you begin to discuss these things in real life, the hard questions come out, right? Okay, well, why is this? Why is that? And one of the questions from a young man, he said, well, what do you think about, as we're talking about predestination, some of those things? I said, well, it's difficult to ask a God who's, who stands outside of time and space what he feels like about time and space because he created it. In other words, if you're born here and you go through life and then you die here, um, if you're outside of time and space, you see that all at once. Does that make sense? So when we're asking God to come down on our level, we're asking him to change who he is. And so instead of trying to trying to get God to think like we do, we really need to think more like he does. In other words, we don't need to be caught up on all these things that we're afraid of or we think that is one way or another. We need to understand that he cared enough to, to be like us so that he could see us through everything that we deal with. 
So when it says right here, he dealt with weakness, he cried out to his father. I can identify with that. He cried, he wept, Jesus cared. Um, it was even evident when he went off by himself after John the Baptist uh, was about to be beheaded. That was his friend, you know? I think it was his cousin, by all means, yeah. And, and friend, one of the few people in his ministry at that time um, was about to lose his life. We talk about all these different things that Jesus dealt with. And the humanity of Jesus, I think, is so important because it, it places us into the story. It brings us into the mix. Once again, if we say, well, Jesus did all these things because he was God, we, we write off our ability to step in and do some of these things. We write off our ability to do that. And what, what I found a lot of times, um, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. All right, let's, let's get through verse 7, and then I'll get to that point. I was about to skip ahead. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, uh, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those that obey him. He was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Son though he was, he learned. Jesus had to learn. Wrap your mind around that. Jesus learned. Jesus becomes us, learns, and shows us what it looks like to follow God as a man. It's one thing to proclaim law from the top of a mountain. It's another thing altogether to receive from the bottom. The difference between law and grace is law is very distant and cannot transform people. It doesn't have the power to. It wants to, but it can't do it. Grace through Jesus actually transformed people from the inside out because it's a relational thing. The beauty of that is he knows every detail, even like Buddy was talking about, and he's so personal, even in our giving and our offering, he cares not about the amount that we give, but, but the heart behind what it is. One of the things that I always pray, and I, I, I always try to focus on this when I pray over offering, is not, don't give so that you can get something because that's not, that's not the way the kingdom works. The, the reaping and sowing in the kingdom is upside down. We reap what we did not sow because of Christ. So the old point in giving is a character thing. We give because Christ in us is a giver. We give because the character of God is a giver. So if my, my focus is should and hope is always going to be on identity, not on money. Does that make sense? So I love, I love that even Buddy was saying that it's personal. It's not about the amount that you give. It's about who you are to him and who he is to you. And that is, that's something that none of us can tell you what that looks like. You have to reconcile that with God. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a, very, it's a, it's a, it's a growing and learning thing. So there's no chance of failure. There's no possibility for success. Um, religion will pretend to have no issues. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but in a lot of religious circles, it will seem like you're the only one that's dealing with things because everyone else usually has a mask on. <laughs> Relationship is messy. Jesus coming to earth was messy. Was there other ways? I'm sure there could have been other ways, but Jesus coming to earth was a, a messy endeavor, uh, dealing with people, uh, going against the grain, figuratively and literally when he was feeding his disciples uh, on the Sabbath and healing people, uh, doing things that were uh, contrary to a lot of man-made laws that were trying to keep people in check. Uh, the way Jesus did it was not the way uh, a lot of us would logically do things, but we understand now that love is not always logical. Love is sacrificial. Agape love is looking for others above ourselves. It's hard for us to understand that Jesus didn't know everything. 
But if he didn't need to learn, I mean, if he did need to learn, what do you think we need to do? We need to learn, right? Let's look at a brief example of Jesus learning in Luke 2.41. Luke 2.41. It says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for, fe- for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. <laughs> How'd you lose your kid for a day? They lost him for a day, and they began looking for him along with their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This is Jesus. Jesus, fully man, fully God, is sitting in the temple, learning and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his, at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you tre- treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom. If that's not a statement that we can hang on to, I believe that... um, some of the things that I've witnessed after salvation and going to different churches and different denominations and different circles and different styles is we will find a tendency to lean one way or another where we'll find uh, this, this idea that we just need to be so deep and grounded in Scripture that we write off everything else that the kingdom has to offer, that we need to be so deep and, and focused on the giftings and the anointings and operating and and miracles that we we neglect some of these things. Listen, none of this is mutually exclusive. They're both so incredibly important. Tying these two things together is what makes things happen. Jesus had the power of hearing from the Father. He had revelation. He had a connection with the Father. He was the prototype of us having the Holy Spirit with us, right? He was the prototype to say, okay, I can be man, but I can also have an influence of God on earth right now. Even though the world has fallen, I can carry the kingdom with me everywhere I go, right? He had that in as much as any of us could ever have the Holy Spirit. He had it, obviously, in spades, but he still learned. He still learned. He still uh, was obedient to his parents. This is God in the flesh, was obedient to his parents. He cared enough to take the time to grow in wisdom, to understand things more clearly. He had great revelation from the Father. He did, in, in moments, he would do what he heard the Father do, and he would... He would operate moment to moment, step by step, but he would go and spend, I don't know how many, 20 years before he started ministering after he was 12 years old. You know, who know? I'm sure he was learning and studying at that point. We don't have a lot of record of it, but I'm sure he was doing a lot of things, right? Well, he wasn't just sitting back doing nothing. I don't believe he was. So I think there's this, this beauty of understanding that we have great revelation and that we have this Holy Spirit that, that walks, us through, walks us through and is with us step by step by step by step. But it does not negate the fact that we need to learn and we need to understand things more clearly. It does not. There's, there's, the beauty about grace is it doesn't allow us the, <laughs> it doesn't allow us the, the freedom to be ignorant on these things. It gives us so much more opportunity to be, uh, to be growing deeper and understanding and learning more. Because now we're not trying to reconcile this relationship because Jesus has already done that. 
now we have all this opportunity to learn more, to understand more, and to reconcile others. So we don't, we don't do so that we can be, right? We do because we already are. So our operation comes from the finished work in Jesus. Our motivation is not to reconcile because Jesus has already done that. He's done all the heavy lifting for us. Now our, our whole purpose is to reconcile others to Christ. What a, what a fun life that is to not be frustrated getting saved every Sunday over and over again and trying to reconcile all these things and confess every sin and maybe I forgot one. You know what? I don't remember. I, there's no way that I could remember all my sins. There's no way. It's illogical. That's why you confess once for your sins and you were born again. The only reason we confess now is one to another, and that's, that's the lateral. That's the, the, the horizontal, not the vertical. We don't have to continue to do this. We do this for each other and for our own benefits and for others' benefits. If we, don't wor- if we don't realize that learning is part of God's gifting, we can get lazy in our gifting and we feel like we don't need to participate. Yes? Yeah. It is, and there's a quote. I don't know who said it, um, but I shared it a while back on Facebook, and it was uh, the difference between religion and relationship is I've messed up, um, like, I don't even remember. I'm going to butcher it. Something about my father. and the, the Yeah, my, my dad's going to kill me. And the second, that's what it was. I messed up, my dad's going to kill me, and relationship is I messed up, I need to find my dad. That's the difference. And, and like you're talking about, if we understand one of the, one of the greatest revelations that I ever got, other than, all the other ones, <laughs> is that this was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't a second, it wasn't a second thought. It wasn't a, oh, what am I going to do? I need Jesus to step in between me and people. God's plan from the beginning was to put Jesus there. I'm, okay, I'm going I'm to take a little rabbit trail, but hang with me. What we say all the time is that God's not angry with people. He's not angry with people groups. Part of the thing that we ran into, especially if we look through the whole, the, the Bible, the whole the meta narrative, the grand story, we look through all the old covenant, we see that God had a chosen people. It wasn't that God was trying to exclude other people in that, and I think that we can, we can jump on that. That's not, that wasn't his point. He was using his chosen people to get to everyone else. Does that make sense? So we can't, we have to be careful because I thought that for years, like, oh, well, why did God leave everybody else out back then? He just chose, you know, his people, and why, what about all them? Well, like I said, God is outside of time and space, and he knew what was going to happen, but he, gave, he wanted to demonstrate through his people that just couldn't quite do it so that he held up his own end of the bargain and made it possible for everyone else. So it was from the beginning he had this plan. He knew it was going to happen even though we had free, free will and free choice. So he could see it, and he already had this plan from the beginning. So God's not like caught off guard and surprised by any of this stuff. It's not like saying, okay, I can't believe they messed this up. He said, no, I know they're going to mess it up, but I'm going to make a way so that they know me as father and, 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 and I know them as sons and daughters. He, he did this for a purpose and for a reason. And the way that it was done, I mean, it's just... It's just amazing how perfect the plan was. So Jesus never took any of this for granted. He co-labored with God while he was on earth the same way we co-labor. It's because it was God's choice. So Jesus learned. It's not for God's approval, but it's for your neighbor's benefit. So we're not trying to, to gain God's approval by doing things. 
but we're understanding that there are other people that need it and understanding the very character and heart of God is to reach people because he loves people that we begin to do things from that place not to try to gain some kind of relationship that we have. Uh, I'm going to quote myself here. I quoted this like five years ago and I was proud because Dana Watson quoted me and I know he doesn't quote me very often so I felt very proud that he, he shared it. Um, but it says, your gifting, is, your gifting will be as effective as your willingness to take responsibility of it. In other words, God does all the heavy lifting and he gives it to you as a gift. You don't earn it. You couldn't earn it. There's nothing you could do to get it. But once you get it, it is your responsibility to do something with it. Not just your responsibility, but it's our privilege to be able to do something with it, right? It's not, it's not like, oh, no, I got this great gift. Now I have to use it. It's like, wow, I get to live a full life and co-labor with Christ on earth. That's the beauty of it. Uh, let's look back uh, real quick at Luke 2.51. It's at the very end of the scripture that I just read. He said, he went into the town of Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. We should grow in wisdom too. If we're to be Christians, which by definition is like little Christs, we should be just like him and growing in the things that we understand about him and about other people around us. Jesus knew that personal responsibility was necessary. Jesus understood that part of being a human was taking responsibility and being involved in what's going on around us. Part of the, the attack, I remember early on when we began to understand, fully understand what grace was and grace through Christ and the finished work, uh, a lot of accusations were that uh, people that, that were in a quote-unquote grace movement were apathetic and wouldn't do anything. Um, the problem with that is, and the reason I don't get into debates about that anymore, is when you come from that, from that position, you don't fully understand grace, and I don't really know where to go from there. I used to argue a lot about this, but if you come from a, a place already assuming that there is some kind of cheap grace or hyper-grace, although there's very much hyper-grace, as Buddy mentioned last week, it's by very definition hyper-grace. It is so much more than, than we even needed. Um, that, it, that it gives us, like grace is the, the wind behind ourselves that empowers us to go do stuff. We cannot do any of this stuff on our own. The same way Jesus needed to hear from the Father. Jesus needed to learn and understand what that meant. Let's go back to John nineteen twenty five real quick. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, because he calls himself that through his whole book, <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took, took her into his home. So we have to see what's going on here. Jesus is dying on the cross, and he thinks, he thinks enough to take care of his mother after he dies. He's talking to a disciple, saying, look, this is, you need to take care of her after I pass away. He's thinking of even the simplest, most mundane uh, things that we think shouldn't matter that much to a divine being that's about to be crucified for our sins. To me, this expresses so much the humanity of Jesus because he cared enough about his mother for that. There are times when we think that he's, he's a little bit disrespectful even though he's not really being to her. I, I can imagine all those, those years that aren't recorded of Jesus, of the times that he spent and how much she treasured that, even from the other scripture we talked about, how much he, she cared and treasured those moments that she had with him. 
And this is a very human perspective, I believe. And to me, to draw, to try to take that away from Jesus would be absolutely wrong, would be anti-Christ to try to take the humanity away from Jesus. Because we need to see that he was human. We need to see that he did care like we care. He need, we need to see that he suffered like we suffer. We need to see that he learned like we learn. In the garden, he said, you know, if there's any, any way that this cup can pass before me, let that, I'd, I'd rather go that direction if we can. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. How many, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I've felt that way. Lord, if there's another way, because I don't want to have this conversation, right? Lord, if there's any other way, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't necessarily choose this way all the time, but not my will, but your will be done. That's being human. That's saying, I'd like to punch this guy in the face, but I don't need to do that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being serious. I ran into, this legitimately happened to me last week, and I think it's, it's a combination of everything that's been going on around, and I've just been on edge lately. <laughs> but I was in the drive-thru, and a guy threw a can right out of his window onto the grass, and it was the whole shoestring thing. When the shoestring breaks and you lose it and you start flipping tables over and stuff, it's not the shoestring, it's all the junk that was before it that you're frustrated about. So not long before that, a lady yelled at me because I forgot to wear my mask and walked in a gas station. She's like, mask, 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 mask. And so there's a lot of little things like that, that, you know, just little things that I was just irritating. This guy just throws a can out. I'm like, this is what's wrong. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> and I, 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 and the, the girls were with me too. And I went and picked it up and I wanted so badly, <laughs> I'm just being honest, I wanted so badly to throw it at him, just as hard as I could, just throw it at him through his window. And, uh, but I didn't. I got back in calmly, and I contemplated all the other dumb things that I really wanted to do. And I pulled up, and I just told the lady, I said, hey, do you have a trash can I can throw this in? And she said, yeah, and I threw it away. And that's the kind of things that I'm talking about. Like, everything in me wanted to really prove, prove my point and make myself feel better briefly. But I know that guy saw me get out and pick that can up, you know? And I'm not saying I'm, like, super holy or anything. I legitimately wanted to, like, go off on this guy. And I fail sometimes, but I... I that was, that was probably a decent one. <laughs> um, but I think these are the times when we have to realize that Jesus was human too. Jesus, the, the reason that God had to, ha- had to do this the way that he did it was so that we could understand that he's not, he's not just God on high pointing and telling us what to do. He's Jesus in the flesh grabbing us and pulling us near him so that we can see the heart of the Father, Right? He is, he's the one stepping with us in the Holy Spirit. He's the one, like I said, doing the heavy work, doing the heavy lifting, doing the hard stuff. As we go in, we're, we're about to go in and take communion, and I want to tell you, um, Jesus made it possible that we could even take communion, not just on the spiritual level, but on the physical level. He made the dirt. He made the wheat. He made the sun that made it grow. He made the rain that helped it. He made the grapes, right? He did all the hard stuff. But we had to, well, we, Lydia, I think Lydia cooked. One of them cooked the bread. One of them had to put the, yeah, Lydia had to put the bread together. Uh, somebody in a plant somewhere had to make the grape juice. <laughs> somebody, had to, but somebody had to press the grapes. This is part of, of Welch's. I don't know who did it. Somebody. Um, uh, not sponsored. Not sponsored. Strike that. No. Um, <laughs> the generic juices. Uh, but in other words, we have something to do, right? This isn't, this isn't meeting God halfway in our relationship. This is God meeting us all the way in our relationship so that we can co-labor with him on earth, so that we can squish the grapes, so that we can make the bread, right? 
This does not write off anything miraculous. This just enhances what is already happening that's miraculous in us, which is the Holy Spirit. When the kingdom comes, things change, things happen. Now, are you guys just going to sit there and, and open your mouth and hope that God places the, <laughs> the element? No, we're not. We, we take part in this. We, we, we participate in it. We, I think that part of what we're looking at, especially in our church moving forward into the next year, is understanding that we've got to mature enough in grace to, to know that we don't have to keep questioning and um, second-guessing ourselves about what we do in here and how we operate in our works. No one in here, I think it's pretty clear that no one in here believes in some kind of works-based salvation. I think it's been clear for the last 10 years probably. There are, but, but, big but, there are things that need to get done. There are things that we need to do, not just in this church, but out there, just like Buddy was saying with offering. If, if we're just saying give here because it's your obligation and your duty, that's <laughs> a duty, um, then, then, then that would be completely not, not Christ-like. That's just part of what we do. If we said that was your only job or your only, I can't say it, it's your only obligation. Uh, sorry, I'm a, I'm a child. I can't say duty. I don't know why. I just have issues. Um, if that was your only obligation, uh, then what if someone needed it out there? Then, then you say, well, that's fine. I just gave it here. I'm not going to help them out there. No. Giving is from the heart. Giving is from character. The very character of God is a giver. So it's not just here. It's out there and it's everywhere. It's who we are. It's not just what we do. But you still have to do it. It doesn't just happen right? Like I used to tell the youth, a similar lesson that I've told the youth, like if, if you wanted to go to a store, you want to go somewhere, you can't just hope that someone comes and picks you up and you just like roll off, roll out of the car and make it, you know, we participate in some of the things that we do. So in ministry, when we, when we recognize and we realize that, that Jesus himself, like God in the flesh, had to learn, had to grow, had to, had to mature, these aren't irreverent things. These aren't things that we're dishonoring Christ, we're not, we're not dishonoring, and by the way, Christ isn't his last name. Jesus was a man, and Christ was his, he was the Christ that came. This was the revelation that Peter had. So as we move forward, we understand that it's not just what God gave us so that we can hoard it and, and hide away someday until God can pull us out of this place, which is another antichrist idea. We're not hiding away so that God can get us out of this place. He said very clearly, I don't seek to take you out of this world. It's not, my, it's not my goal is to take you out of this world. My goal is to place the kingdom in your hearts so that you can share it with other people. So, buddy, if you want to go grab the kiddos, we're going to transition kind of into our communion and then straight into potluck. We're going to make this as awkward as possible. We're going to try not to, but, yeah, you know me. Um, the thing I... The thing I love about communion, other than the community, which is you guys, is that it shows us, just like baptism, it's a physical, it's a physical representation of something that happened in the spirit, right? The same thing we're talking about physically living out, because we all have a limited time on this earth. Uh, don't blame me, it's statistics. <laughs> Where you know, one out of every one person is going to physically die. It's going to happen. So we have this time that we have on this earth. God has a plan for you and I, and, and your, your plan's not over if you're here. <laughs> so God has a plan for you and I. So as he gives us this Holy Spirit, as he gives us this truth, as we have opportunity to walk it out, the kingdom is growing. God is doing a work on the earth right now, today. God is, God is changing lives, and you are his only plan. There is no plan B. You and I are it, right? 
that requires something of us. It requires us to receive what he has for us, right? It requires for us to do some things. Some things that are fun and are comfortable, some things that are a little sketchy sometimes that are a little more adventurous, which I actually enjoy a little bit more. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's a beauty in it that we get to co-labor with Christ as sons and daughters. When we talk about community, we're not all going to agree on everything. Shocker, right? Just do what? Just like family. Just like family. We're not going to agree on anything. Um, not anything, everything. <laughs> we're not going to agree on anything. Yep, just like family. <laughs> We're not going to agree on anything. Uh, but, what we, but what we can do as a family is we can be proactive in understanding and thinking the best in other people. One of the most difficult things that I had to learn from my childhood and seeing some of the worst in people was something that Mark Wyatt helped me learn was to always, always look for the best in people. Always look for, uh, always look for, or look at people like Christ, look, look at people like Jesus looks at people, like God looks at people. And that invisible kingdom is sometimes hard to see when the physical kingdom can rear its head up and look a little bit different. But I want to encourage you as we, before we take communion and as we go into, especially kind of leading into this new year, always try to take the opportunity to think the best in other people. If there's a doubt that you have, part of what we practice is being unoffendable. It's okay, the kids can come in while I'm talking. Um, uh, one of the things we practice being unoffendable, when you think that someone is, is offending you, always assume the best. Always assume that they are not, right? If they are, we'll get to that eventually. Even if they are, what's, what's the Bible say about praying for your enemies? I'm sure they're not your enemy. They're probably saying it out of some hurt place anyway. But we care for them and we pray for them. And what's going to change them more? You coming back and, and hitting them with something? You coming back and responding with anger? Do you think that's going to change them for the better? It's not. Demonstrating love to someone who, who may be operating from a place of hurt is the only thing that's going to heal them. So as a community, I want to encourage us as we move forward to always look for the best in people. Always take opportunity to be unoffendable. When, someone, when you think someone has done something or said something or ignored you or whatever it is, take that opportunity to pray for them. And in the moment that you feel like you've been hurt, take that opportunity to pray for them. And I, I guarantee you it will transform you more than if you, if you mull over it for a week well, I won't say it, it will transform you, transform you more. It will transform you better because <laughs> you can be transformed into worse. <laughs> Mull over it for a week, and we'll see. Uh, I had the same opportunity with that guy. I, I wanted to throw that can at, but I, I calmed down, and I chose to pray for that guy. That's not easy. That's not, that's not, that's not a physical kingdom thing to do. That's an unseen kingdom thing to do. That's hard. We even... Uh, Fred, Kyle, and I were talking before service about fights growing up, getting in fights. And I can remember all the fights that I got into, um, how all, all of that was based on um, a, a lack of identity in myself and trying to prove to other people that I could, I could handle myself outside of anybody else. Part of a community is understanding that people do care for you, that you don't, you don't have to always try to take a stand for something other people are there to help you and to build you up. People in this community, people in our church, I hope and pray that you guys are building each other up daily. I hope and pray that as we come in this place and we take communion together, that even though we don't agree on everything, we do agree that we love one another. We do agree that because Christ loved us in a sacrificial love that we can sacrifice our own love for other people. And it's not a bad thing and it's not hard. All right.
God gives us his body and his blood, right? It's his body, it's his blood, but it's our bread and our wine. Or grape juice, it's grape juice. Children, <laughs> you can drink it, it's not really wine. Um, like I said, God takes care of the heavy lifting. He grows the wheat, he gives us the sun, he gives us the rain. He gives us all the things for it, but it's up to us to make the stuff. It's up to us to take it. It's up to us to receive it. He chose to co-labor with us. He chose to give us opportunity to take of him. So we get the easier part of participating in what God's doing on earth. So we're going to participate right now. So if you will, grab the, the bread, the little pieces of bread, one each. And if someone can give me some, some breads. Can I have some breads? I'll just take it. All right. And if you're visiting here, we do practice open communion. I didn't know what that was until like the fourth or fifth time we had it and somebody asked me about it. Um, if you don't believe, you're just drinking grape juice and bread, and I don't think I'm not going to go into that whole sermon. God's not going to strike you down. Trust me. If you're curious about it, I'll talk to you about it later. Um, so as a, together as we take communion, um, <laughs> um, I encourage you to take the bread and receive the body of a man that died so that your old self could die with him and his new life could be put in its place. taking a smaller bite. <laughs> I'll give you guys time. <laughs> and please take the, the wine or grape juice and receive the blood that supernaturally placed you into this new family, canceling the debt was, was owed and restoring your relationship to your Heavenly Father. If you'll join me in prayer, Father, thank you for doing the heavy lifting. Thank you for sacrificing yourself that it is finished. Lord, thank you that there's nothing that we could do on our end um, to restore that relationship that you did it all for us. And Father, thank you for, for, coming, for coming to earth as a man to demonstrate to us that it was possible for us to reconcile with you and to live on earth together. Lord, I pray right now that as we've, we've taken communion today together as a family, um, that you encourage us to build each other up in this, in this church and outside this church. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to reconcile others to you. Lord, highlight those that need encouragement. Highlight those in our lives that need, um, that need evidence of a kingdom that is unshakable, that need evidence of, of hope and faith outside of what they've seen on this earth. And Lord, in the same way, I pray that you would uh, send others to us to build us up and encourage us, Lord, that, that they would have the same, uh, the same vision that you give us to look out for others. <laughs> Lord, thank you for Emily <laughs> and for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.